The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for the podcast, and my husband Steve Siegel is our producer. This is episode number 168, or as I explain it to you, you, can, cause you could consider it 167-B. Anyhow, please be sure and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. When you subscribe, listen, and review this podcast, it helps more and more people find us and get a message of hope and help. Today, we'll be talking to Dan Schneider again. This is chapter two of this man's unbelievable work in the field of addiction. If you are joining us for the first time, you might want to listen to yesterday's podcast, which is chapter one, and details how Dan became aware of the addiction pandemic in a very personal way after his son was murdered while trying to make a drug purchase. Let's talk to Dan Schneider. So Dan, this is the second episode that we're doing on your whole story. The first episode focused on the death of your son and how you taking action led to the arrest and prosecution of the killer, and yet a form of redemption because the killer feels that you saved his life and your son didn't want the death penalty, which didn't happen. So it's, it, it was a very powerful story. But you didn't stop there. You had promised God that you would go on a mission. And now I want you to talk about that mission that you went on. Right. This, this is, this is a complicated story too, but the, uh, the, I, my, my wife really didn't want me to go on a mission. Okay. We finally finished the investigation. Okay. And, and I agreed with it to this extent. I said, I'm going to take a couple of months off. Okay. And then I want to go start talking in schools. I want to talk to parents. Uh, I want to educate parents to be more aware and alert. You know, some of the things I learned that maybe I could have caught with my son. Okay. Uh, now I understand addiction. There should be more compassion and empathy. And I want to teach parents how to understand because I'd have been angry when I found out my son was, was dealing in drugs and maybe you should be angry, but you should be angry in a, in a, in a good way, you might say, or an understanding way. And I, I wanted to import all that hard found knowledge that I had developed uh, up to that point. Okay. Uh, but I wasn't going to take a couple months off. Well, the day my son's killer is sentenced, uh, we go out and have dinner after. I don't want to call it a celebration, but there was a great relief and there, there was some feeling of something decent happened. You know, we still didn't have our son, obviously, but, you know, it had been a travail going through this whole mess, and we finally had him in jail. And uh, it was only going to be for 13 to 14, 13 to 15 years, but it was better than nothing. Okay. So in any event, I get home, and my old answer machine there is beeping. It has a message on it. And this is the same day that we come home from the sentence. So I press the button. And it's my son's creative writing teacher that was his teacher when he wrote 1201. And he, he is saying, he's saying, because early on I had said, look, I'd like to come talk at the schools, okay, eventually. I said, but I, I just can't deal with that right now, okay? He said, that's fine. 
So he's calling me and he's saying, Dan, he says, I, I don't know what's going on with your son's case. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you're ready, but you know, Red Ribbon Week is coming up and we're going to have a big thing at the school. And it was about 10 days away. And he said, it, you know, I'd like you to come talk, but if you can't, maybe you can sit and listen or something, whatever you think you can handle. I'm like blown away. I mean, how does it happen that I come home from the sentencing and I'm getting this offer from his high school creative writing teacher? But, you know, my wife's in the background and she's going, you know, you know she's steaming, okay? And, and I, even myself, I, I've said, I want a break. I don't want to, you know, God, give me a, give me a couple of weeks off, you know? So I sleep on it. And I just, I, I couldn't miss the opportunity. And, and looking back on it, you know, if I'd have had that pause, who knows? Maybe I'd have never gotten that involved. I don't know. But something happened for that to happen. And again, I think that's divine, okay? And so I tell him yes. And uh, we write a big, big speech. In fact, I got copies of that speech, okay? And, and, and it was a tremendous talk, okay? And uh, it went over well. They got media coverage and parents all gave it acclaim and more people should do what you're doing. And naturally that kind of took some of the pain away or we're really accomplishing something. I am starting my mission. Okay. And it's, it's a, it's a little complicated story, but I call my mission tunnel of hope. Okay. And just in general, it's, you know, you picture yourself in a dark tunnel with all this mess that's going on, but there's usually light at the end of the tunnel. And I like to even think we can create light at the end of the tunnel. So that's why I named it that. And then we carry that name forward now, even today. I think uh, it's a great analogy because I think also for people who are drug addicts, you know, they sometimes feel that there is no light at the end of the addiction tunnel. And I think right. it's huge. It's, it's huge. It is huge. And you know, uh, there's more to that story, but if, we, if I keep telling you the little sod stories, then, then this could take six episodes. Okay. So, so I'm going to pass on the, the behind the scenes stories, how that came about, but that is the title we picked. Okay. Now, I, I think the next week I go to his college and I give the pretty much the same talk, but it's geared to a little older crowd. Okay. Not a high school crowd. Uh, he was in a community college and they asked me to come speak. So uh, I'm speaking week one and week two, right after his murder. Okay, and 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 uh, and that's pretty much the end of the year of 2000. Okay, uh, and uh, so in any event, my wife's still saying, "Well, what about the break we were supposed to have?" Okay, so something else divine happened at the time. You know, I don't think the word "break" is in your vocabulary, Dan. I'm sorry, I just don't think <laughs> well, it's wait there. A second. I always try. I always try now, and I really do try. Okay, and so in any event. That something happened really strange. Another divine thing happened. The Saints won a playoff game. The Saints back then were like horrible. That's our hometown team, okay? And they won a playoff game, and they won the first one, but they had the second one in Minnesota. And now they're going away for the second playoff game, okay? And so I told my wife, I said, well, look, we're going to go to Minnesota, and we're going to watch the Saints. And I, and I think God is so much with me right now, okay, that the Saints are going to win, 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a great break. We get to go. There's snow up there, and you know it's a different atmosphere. And I'm going to take some time off, and so on and so forth. Meantime, I will say this: behind the scenes, I have been observing in my drugstore. Now my mind's been seeing this. I've been ignoring it a little bit, but I'm seeing uh, this opiate epidemic starting. Okay, and in particular, this one doctor and kids coming in that don't look like they need this medication. Uh, a different type of crowd than I used to see. Used to be older, middle-aged, sometimes partially disabled people with getting these kind of drugs. And now we were seeing what almost looked like kids like my age, my son's age, 22. Okay? So I'm starting to look at this, okay? But you know, my bargain with God was not to start in another investigation. <laughs> my to go on a mission, but the mission was to be education, parents, schools. You know, it, 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 my, my wife was going to kill me if I went on another investigation. Okay, so any of that, we take this break, and one of my good friends, Debbie, she's in the docuseries. Okay, her and her husband, uh, she has a son that's in Chicago, and he's got cancer to jaw. Okay, and she says, Well, look. Since you're heading up that way, why don't you stop and drop me off in Chicago and then go to Minnesota, okay? And then when you come back, we'll spend a little time with my son because he was a good friend. He was a good friend of my son's, okay? And, uh, and then we drive home. So sure enough, we drop off in Chicago and we drive to Minnesota and we do the, some sightseeing up there. They got a certain kind of fish that you eat. I can't remember the name of it now. But everybody eats when they go to Minnesota. And the, the, the river, they got a spot where the river starts up there and museum and whatnot and and there's snow and we're not used to snow and it's a big deal and we see Amish country and you know and, and so on and so forth we go to the world the, the mall of Americas okay and so and when I'm in a mall of Americas I buy a new video camera okay and my wife says well you know it's crazy it's like a $1,500 camera okay back then Okay, most sophisticated camera that you could get at that time. And I said, well, you know, look, we're on vacation now. We don't have our old cameras obsolete now. It's a VHS camera or something. Okay, this is a newer digital model or some kind of crap. And so I bought a camera, and sure enough, we filmed the snow and we filmed the, the river and all these things that we saw. We got to film our little vacation there. And then we go to the Saints, and I'm sure they're going to win, but they get the butts kicked. Okay. And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, wait a second, God, <laughs> you were with me, but I mean, you know, the Saints won a game and I go watch them, you know, and I'm taking a break and you let them lose, you know, so anyway, <laughs> so, so any event, now we, now we're heading home, okay, and we go back to Chicago and we have a little dinner with Hassan and he's got his jaw wide, he can only sip out there, but if we go to a nice Chicago restaurant, we eat a big meal, he sips soup, okay. Uh, but we spent a little bit of time with him, and then we leave to go home. Now, on the way home, my daughter and my uh, wife are sleeping in the back of the car. Okay. We, we make the drive home in a day or a day and a half, which that's a long drive. It's a lot of driving. Okay. And it's, it's like early in the morning. We, we, we got up early, but they fall back asleep the minute they get in the car. Okay. And Debbie is sitting in the front seat with me, the, the, the family friend. And we run along and we're talking about Dr. Cleggett. I'm now talking about Dr. Cleggett. I'm telling her what's going on. And she says, and I said, and I, I don't know what to do with this. I said, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how to handle this. Uh, uh, you know, 
and she says, and you found, excuse me, you found Dr. Cleckett because you started looking at who was writing all these prescriptions for opioids for these young people, right? Right, right. So I, I know of her, and I know she's doing devious things. I, I don't know the great total detail of the picture yet, uh, but I'm very suspicious, and I, I, I'm, I'm determined she's not a good actor. Well, my decision is, though, is what do I do about it, okay? Or do I just turn my head the other way, Okay and let the, let the police take care of it, or let the DEA take care of it, or let the FBI take care of it, okay? And so Debbie says, Danny, you're gonna shut her down. She knows you well. <laughs> and I said, come on, Debbie. I said, you don't understand. I said, I, I promise to Annie, I'm not gonna get back into investigations. I, I, I talked to God. God, this was not part of the bargain, okay? I, I was supposed to go talk in schools and educate parents, you know? I'm supposed to be going after this doctor. I mean, they got authorities to do this kind of stuff. She says, you're going to do it. I said, well, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I would need a direct sign from God. Immediately out of the windshield, a cross formed. Absolutely. I, I think I'm hallucinating. What, I'm not what do you mean, like made of a snow or... I, I guess scientifically, it was it was early in the morning, and there was like little fragments of particles and the light reflecting a certain way, whatnot. But it formed what appeared to be fairly cl clear. I and what's see. about that is, I'm we're ninety percent sure her and me. We're looking. I'm driving. We don't see this, okay? And then I make that statement, and then it's there. So I really don't believe it, okay? And I look at Debbie, and I say, Debbie, of course she's different than me, okay? Debbie, what do you see out the window? She says, Danny, I see a cross. Look, you know, we're like, didn't you expect it? Okay. <laughs> and I'm still, so I'm thinking, there's no way my wife's going to believe this yet. There's no way she's going to believe this yet. So I turn around and we wake her up and we wake my daughter up and we don't say anything. And my wife and my daughter look, I said, what do y'all see out the windshield of the car? My wife says, I see a cross. My daughter says, I see a cross. Wow. I've had a lot of many miracles in this story, okay? And I, I, I could elaborate on some of them, okay? Uh, but, and I, and I really believe there was divine things that happened, uh, okay? But call, call it miracles. I, I think people could debate miracles, okay? Coincidences, miracles, okay? But for the life of me, I can't debate this one, okay? And, and the reason why, it's, it's pretty rare for you to call for something and then immediately get it. Usually you get it over a period of year and you reflect back on it and say it was, it was a miracle, okay? Okay, and, and then to have witnesses. Usually it's you, and maybe you hallucinated. Maybe you dreamed this, okay? I got three witnesses, okay? So in any event, my wife need to see this, okay? Because secretly, I did kind of want to go after her, okay? I wanted to go after the doctor, but, you know, I had promised not to do this kind of stuff, and it wasn't my bargain and all this other stuff. So now I take that as a sign. So we drive now the rest of the way home. I think it was Elvis's birthday, too. We stop in Memphis, okay? And, and, and then we drive home, and we get home late. 
we get home late, we, uh, we stop in, in Mandeville, which we, we live now in Mandeville, but at the time we still lived in St. Bernard, okay, which is about an hour uh, further south. And we drop Debbie off because Debbie lives in Mandeville. So then we drive home and it's like one o'clock, okay? We put my daughter to sleep. And me and my wife go out to that doctor's office that night. Your wife goes with you. She goes with me. Now, if you don't think that this cross had an effect, there is no way in hell she would have went with me. But she even got the message, okay? She goes with me, and we use the brand new video camera <laughs> that I purchased in all Amer Americas. And some of that footage show, shows in the docuseries. I remember, yeah. And when you're looking at it, when, when, we, fit, when we, fit, we, we park across the street, and we, she's kind of holding the camera some of the time, okay? And we arguing sometime. And, <laughs> and she's we videoing this thing, and there's two New Orleans policemen by the door. That just blows my mind. I mean, I can understand why she would want them there. Cleggett would want them there because of all the money, the cash that she's handing over. But do the cops not think that maybe there's something wrong with this picture or are they getting a cut? Well, it's unbelievable. Okay. It, 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 anybody could have seen that something was wrong there. Okay. Uh, it, you know, so. And I later found out that those cops, the reason why they were there and maybe were taking the risk, okay, was that uh, she paid them in cash at the end of the day in a very big stuffed envelope with money. That's that's kind of what I was referring to. Is that they they would they were being paid. I, I don't think upper management knew, although <laughs> who knows? Maybe even upper management was getting some kind of payoff to let them be there. Who knows? Uh, you know, I, I hate to be that cynical all the time, but it was ridiculous. And in fact, my wife, you can't even hear her. She says, oh, my God. Okay. And it was not just the people that we saw. And it was there tons of people going and coming and crowds. And it was obvious that this was unusual, 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Uh, license plates from out of state. Uh, cabs. They actually had a cab pull up. Okay. Kind of blocked our view. The person got out of the cab, went in, was in maybe five minutes, came back, got in the cab, and took off. The cab waited. I mean, what, Dan, what year was this? Now, that was 2001 in, in, in January, 2001. That's when the Saints won the game. You can verify all this by, by the Saints winning a playoff, uh, look, no, losing a playoff game in uh, January, early January. Okay? Now, the, the reason why I asked you. His birthday, is, too, I think, is early January, so. The reason why the reason why I was asking was because I know that in the um, I'm pretty sure it was in the early 2000s, Florida was number one in pill mills, and um, we met with the woman who then became our attorney general here in Florida, and her first mission was to shut down the pill mills. So I was just kind of wondering um, about the. Uh, you know, about the dates, about the years. I think it's about the same time that, that you were spotting what was going on with Cleggett. I think maybe you're wrong on that, okay? Maybe by year, okay? I don't I mind being wrong. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but, but there were people coming from Florida to get pills from her. 
and 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 I hadn't really heard that Florida had that big of a problem. Okay, now shortly after they did, eventually Florida was worse than what we were. But at that time, Time Magazine did an article. Okay, in my parish, Saint Bernard Parish. Okay, and that was also in January of two thousand one. Coincidentally, Time Magazine does an article on our parish about we're one of the hot spots in the country. I think you're right. I think Florida was later. I think the pill mills in Florida were later than that. You're right. Right, right. And so, so in any event, uh, uh, we're on a mission now, okay? And I'm initially, I'm a little naive again, okay? I, you know, I, I try to call up the medical board, okay, about her, okay? And I don't get a strong reaction. It's disappointing. And I start saying, you know what? Now I'm getting a little cynical about authorities, okay? I'm saying, geez, you know, if they can't see this, they're blind, okay? And maybe worse, I don't know, maybe she's paying off the medical board. You know, because I, I can't understand how somebody, 2 o'clock in the morning, can have hundreds of people there, uh, and, and prescriptions going all over the place, and kids dying and all this, and, and nothing's being done about it, okay? So, you know, I, I talked to my local police department, and they said, yeah, man, we've been trying to get her shut down for the longest, we, we, you know, She's out of our jurisdiction. She's close to St. Bernard. Much of her business is coming into St. Bernard, which I'm seeing every day in a drugstore. And, and, uh, but there's not a whole lot we can do, okay? And so then I, 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 the next thing I do is I call the IRS because I'm thinking I'm still not wanting to really continue this really uh, investigation in, in, in the way that I'm doing it uh, in a less dangerous way. So I contact the IRS because I know she's not reporting all this money. So I'm thinking Al Capone. I'm going to think, well, you know, if we can't get it any other way, we'll get her on tax evasion. Okay. You know, it's a I, good idea. It, 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 it was a good idea, but the truth is, man, the IRS would probably take five years to do that. Okay. I, you know, it, you know and now that I look back on it, maybe it wasn't. By the way, we got a tape recorder of all my discussions with the IRS. Okay. And, and that was one deal, too, and I didn't know it at the time, but I actually could have got some money out of this stuff. I mean, I didn't get paid to do any of this stuff, okay? But it, it, if the IRS would have ever had a claim against her and could have proved it, you get some percentage of the tax that they managed to get. That never happened, but any event. And that wasn't why I called them, okay? But they informed me that I could possibly get it. Well, I didn't, I didn't wait very long because I got kids coming in the store and, and we're starting to have deaths and I'm starting to go to funerals of kids that die and and I'm and, and, and it's getting worse because I'm looking at these kids and they look like my son, uh, you know, uh, and, and I just, you know, it's I, I just can't deal with it. And now, and God's saying to me, basically, okay, you got to do something. So I, uh, you know, we, we do more video and okay. And I go directly to FBI, call FBI. So, you know, if I go to the FBI, it, the, these guys can't be dirty and, and they ought to know their shit. Okay. Excuse the language. Okay. They ought to know their poop. Okay. So any event, the, uh, they come to my house. They meet with me and my wife, and I give them the videotapes, and I give them some uh, recordings that I have uh, on tape because I'm recording patients. I'm getting information on her operation, and I got a couple plants that are actually in her uh, business to learn more about her operation. You and, did that? Yes. 
Yes. Huh? I don't. Yeah. I didn't oh, see yeah. that part in the documentary. Yeah, I had to get. Yeah, I had to to, to recruit uh, some plants. Okay, and it, it really wasn't that hard. One of them came to me, and the other one, uh, you might say, I did him a little bit of a favor. Uh, uh, sometimes I turned down a lot of the prescriptions. Okay, I filled some too. You know, I had to, you know, tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, but this one guy, uh, he was a pretty good guy. Okay, and he, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of filled his prescriptions. And, and we kind of had an unwritten agreement, okay, that I would fill his prescription with no problem, okay, as long as it was legal and it was reasonable, okay, but he was going to do some investigation for me, and, and, and that happened. He provided with me a, a lot of information. Another one was a young boy, and he's in the, in the, in the uh, video. His name Robbie. He's a cab driver now, okay, uh, but he had also had some uh, drug issues himself, and he was in her office and he's kind of sort of related to me. Like he's like one of my wife's second cousin or something. And we knew of each other a little bit. He knew a little bit about my son. And he was a kid that was kind of dealing in the world of the underworld, you might say. And he was on the edge himself, but he had this sense of that this isn't the right thing. And it was, there was a good part of him. And, and he, you know, I talked to him and kind of recruited him and, and he decided to help. And he had a strange occurrence that happened with Dr. Cleggett that really blew his mind. He, he also worked with computers and printers at that time. And he worked for a company. And Cleggett's uh, printer was down. So he said, well, I can fix your printer. Okay, so uh, he came like the next day to fix our printer. So she, he fixes the printer and he's, he's waiting for his payment. And the guy hands, I think it was one of the policemen or one of one of all stoolies that, that worked there, okay, hands him like three prescriptions. The kind of prescriptions, you know, Oxycontin and the kind that have street value and, and getting high value, whatever you want to call it, okay. And he looks at this and he says, no, no, he says, no, I work for a company. I got to give them money, okay. And they said, look, you'd better take this and shut your mouth. And so they, they, stupid, but they roughed him up a little bit. And that kind of ticked him off a little bit, okay? Well, what did he do? What did he tell his employers? Did he, I mean. I'd have to ask Robbie that exactly, okay? You're right. curious. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't remember now what he said, okay? But any, maybe he went back and said they, nothing was wrong with the machine. I, I don't know, okay? But, but. The truth is that also triggered him even more so. He was already leaning toward coming on board, but when that happened, he said, man, this is ridiculous, okay? And so, yeah, he became another person that, 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 that worked with us. So, so I call the FBI in. They come to my house. They get all the information. They give me a receipt. They say, we're going to work on this thing, Mr. Snyder. We appreciate what you're doing, da-da-da-da-da, so on and so forth. There's two agents, okay? When they leave and they go back, and about maybe three or four days later, they called back and said, Mr. Snyder, look, the truth is the DEA is ahead of us on this. Okay. So we're sending all your material to the DEA, and then you can go talk to them. Okay, all right. So anyway, then I, I, uh, I talked to Robbie at that time, and I said, look, i got to go to the DEA and talk to them again about all this evidence. I said, how about you come and tell them your story about this computer deal, Okay. He says, sure. You know, and I say, sure. I had to sell him on it. He was kind of afraid if he really wanted the truth. But I sell him on it. 
So sure enough, we go to the DEA office, and that's a whole long story, and I'll try to cut it down a little bit, okay? But we go there, and basically, they treat me with respect, but they're really not listening to me, okay? And they don't seem to know much about the case. Now, some people say, well, they, they can't let you know what they know. Well, maybe so, okay, but whatever. With Robbie, they wound up, because the kid had other friends that did drugs, some of these kids exchanged pills. Some of these kids sold a few pills, okay? He's a little bit in the underworld, okay? And so they start pressing him, not about Cleggett, the big fish. They start pressing him to turn in his friends that are using these pills. Yeah, ridiculous, okay? And so- Completely ridiculous. I mean, that, they're supposed to be going after the big fish, not the little fish. Yeah. It pissed my ass off because I had to work my ass off to get this kid to go up there. And he never thought he could get in any kind of trouble because, number one, he's doing a great thing, okay? He's helping them with the damn case, okay? And, and I reamed their ass out, which probably didn't give me good favor with the DEA, okay? But they didn't look like – they look like bumbling idiots, too, if you really want to know the truth. And, uh, you know, if they couldn't close this case before even I gave them anything – and then when I gave them, they couldn't close this case. Well, you know, a, a, a while later, a while later, I uh, I get another tip from this guy that I'm, I'm filling his prescriptions. His name is Mike, and I think he's dead now. And I think he died with drugs. He became a street person, and I think overdosed and died. Uh, at least I haven't been able to track him down, and everybody says they think he died. Okay. So anyway, Mike goes to get a passport. Okay, and there's a building called the Plaza Towers in New Orleans, and that's where you got to go to get your passport back then. And when he's there, one of the cops, not the New Orleans cop, but she also had a boyfriend that was like a civil sheriff, uh, wasn't a New Orleans policeman. They, they, the civil sheriffs operate the jail system or something, okay? And he's like a boyfriend of her. And he's up there, and he's getting a passport to some exotic country. And they talking. So Mike comes back and tells me, he says, Danny, so I bet you any money that's where she's sending the money. And, and I don't know if we were right. Maybe, maybe we jump into conclusions and whatnot. But, you know, I did think, hey, who knows? I'm almost starting to think God made this happen, okay? How, how does this guy, Mike, go to get his passport and he meets this guy? Okay. So he gives me the information. So I think this is great information. This is something extra that they should have. So I call a DEA. Well, they say, hey, that's not us. You got to go to the FBI. But you already <laughs> did that. <laughs> right. But, but, but truthfully, it's a little more complex. This is money fraud. Uh, this is not about the prescriptions, per se, killing kids. This is money fraud. So maybe it makes sense, but it is a pain in the ass, this ping pong that I'm having to go through, okay? And so, in any event, I, I scheduled an appointment with one of the top FBI guys to bring him this new information. And there's a spot in the story where you hear me saying, I don't know if I'm losing it. I, 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 something crazy is going on. And, and what, what happened was... I was people were following you, right? Well, this is what happened. Okay. And, and, and I, I, it's really hard to understand what took place exactly okay but at the time it was really hard for me to process 
I'm a little bit nervous about this. I am going to the FBI headquarters, okay? I got an appointment. I'm told by this, this top guy at the FBI, number three guy at the FBI, okay? I'm told that go to the gate, show them my ID, and they're going to have a message to let me in pretty, you know, flow easy, okay? So I get up Monday morning, I got the appointment for like 9 o'clock, I guess, in the morning, okay? And I'm driving there, and I pull up by the gate, okay? And... I show my license, and this guy knows nothing about me coming, okay? And in the meantime, I look behind me, and I'm going to call him Cleggett's goon because I didn't go into it, but I went out to Cleggett's office maybe six or eight times. At least once, I got chased by what I call Cleggett's goons. There was a forerunner. And that was one of her boyfriends. It wasn't in the Orleans Police Department. It was one of her boyfriends. So they, they noticed that I'm videotaping, and they chased me, and I outran him, and I, I went home. Okay. So I knew who her goons were, okay? And so I uh, – and I call them goons. I don't know what to call them, okay? Works body for me. Yeah, bodyguards, okay? So in any event, they riding right behind me on the street, and they're waving – at me, shouting, and it looks like they got a gun. Okay. Now, I really don't know whether it was a gun, but I, I'm, my mind is like, how is it that I'm here and they here? And, and, and how is it that this guy doesn't know I'm supposed to get in? And so <laughs> I start thinking that the FBI guy is in on it. He's told these people, okay? I mean, I'm putting two to two together in this. How, how, how do I know? Now, they show some of this in the docuseries, okay? What's crazy is I got a lot of this, not videotaped, but audio taped. Because I had my recorder running when a lot of this was going on. Me talking to the guard at the gate, me saying I think there's people chasing me. Uh, and, and, and then I talked to the FBI guy, and I'm telling him what's going on. And he's, he's saying, like, well, Mr. Snyder, I said, they got some people out here. And he goes, oh, Mrs. Snyder, be real. So, you know, it, 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 it seems like he is stalling me. Now, I have reflected upon that, and I listened to my recording again, and it doesn't necessarily sound like he's delaying me now. Okay. But at that moment, with somebody waving what I think is a gun at me, and me being stalled, I got this bad impression of him. Okay, and the way he's talking now, he is kind of stalling me, but only he's trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, and I still wonder, okay, whether or not he could have possibly been maybe dirty. Okay, but I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt because I eventually have this altercation. I finally, I, I, I leave. I leave because I'm being stalled and I'm afraid I'm going to get shot. They chase me. Okay. And I call in to the FBI headquarters and say, look, I was supposed to get in. I want to meet Mr. Such and Such, okay? And, and, and I'm, I'm, somebody's following me, okay? And y'all got to let me in quickly, okay? I'm in danger, okay? And so I said, but I don't want to speak to Mr. Such and Such, the guy that I now suspect, okay? And so they say, okay, fine, okay? We'll get somebody else to meet with you, Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll make sure you get in expeditiously, okay? And sure enough, I ride back, 
in, uh, it's crazy, I know the area. I had written into uh, uh, University of New Orleans parking lot. It's a school that I went to before pre-pharmacy, okay? And they got grounds and that's where I went for safety because they got security and the, the goons on the outside didn't go into the university system. They kind of stayed on the outside. But then they followed me right back to the FBI headquarters, which is only two miles away from the school, okay? And I, I pull up by the gate and they quickly let me in. And I walk in the headquarters and sure enough, the guy that's there to meet me is the bad guy, the guy that I don't want to meet. And he's standing there with two of his stoolies. Okay, I call stoolies, they're his subordinates. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying, I don't want to speak to you. I said, you know, I'm going to speak to your boss or somebody else. Okay. Well, well what's, what's wrong, Mr. Snyder? And I said, look, I, there's something going on here. And I don't know what it is. Okay. And I got a recorder. I'm listening to this. Okay. I mean, people can hear this. Okay. And so it, it, it becomes like an altercation. And he says, you got to leave. I said, well, where do I go for protection? This is on the tape. And that's played in the doctor series. Okay. And he says, I don't care where you go. Okay. So I leave. I jump in my car. And sure enough, they chasing me. I call St. Bernard Parish police. Okay. That I know. And I have, and that's on tape. Okay. And I asked them because I asked them to meet me at the, what I call them, there's a station on the border of St. Bernard. And I asked, I'm coming there for refuge. Okay. And I want to talk to them about what happened. Okay? And so sure enough, I race, I, I outrun the guys. I, I managed to get there safely. Okay. And one of the policemen there I know pretty well. Okay. So he, he meets with me and I give him the tapes and we listen to the tapes together. And he says, this is strange. He says, but you know, you, you really were out of it. I said, yeah, I, I, I know I, I kind of was. I mean, I was scared. I was petrified. I, 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 and he, and he said, you had trouble processing this. And I said, yeah, I, I definitely had trouble. You know, and I think that I really believe that the, the FBI guy's dirty. And he says, well, I don't know. He says, that's kind of hard to believe, you know what I mean? And, and, and I said, well, okay. He says, and he comes out with a plausible explanation. Okay. One of which, maybe start thinking, well, maybe I was wrong. Okay. And his plausible explanation is the FBI, those goons were parked out in front of my house that morning. Okay. And they followed me there coincidentally. And I just didn't notice until I got to the FBI headquarters and they probably didn't know where I was going. And when they see me by the FBI headquarters, they were trying to scare me off. And, and maybe that's actually what happened. Yeah, I, I really, I really don't know. Okay, but that's bizarre too. It makes sense, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it makes more sense than hopefully the guy wasn't dirty. Okay, and when I listen to my own tape recording now, he didn't sound as dirty as I felt at the moment. Okay. Understood. By the way, now he could still be dirty. Okay. It's, <laughs> you didn't know what you bargained for when you told me to tell a story. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Any event, he says. Uh, uh, The next day I go to Wendy's and I pull up in front of Wendy's. Okay. And behind me, I look in the rearview mirror and I see one of his subordinates that was standing next to the, the FBI agent. And I, again, I say, this can't be. There's no way. Why would he be down here following me through Wendy's drop up window? So I pull over, pull up. And I pull over 
and he's got a pass, but he gets a burger or coffee or something, okay? And, and, and I write down his license plate number, okay? Then I drive out into the street, and he's not only following me, another car follows me. They're boxing me in. I slow down and I write down his license plate number. Then I run in and out the streets in there because I know the area, okay? And I lose them. Now I'm saying, did I really see this? Is, 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 this, is this the FBI that's chasing me down here? Well, I got some friends at the police department, okay? And, but you know what? If, if I tell them to run these FBI plates, they're not going to do it probably. What I do have is my son's murder had just taken place a couple of months back. I mean, the, the case. And St. Bernard had been authorized by Sheriff Jack Stevens to let me use their computers or whatever I asked them to do, basically. So I called back a guy named Marcel David, okay, who, who was going to help me. And I tell him, I said, look, I said, I think I got some of these dope dealers that I, you know, I pissed off, okay, in the ninth ward, okay, and I think they chasing me. And I got their license plates. Oh, okay, I'll run them for you. Good handling. And then the FBI. And the FBI knows they run them. They jump all over St. Bernard. They call up St. Bernard and they ream him out. And they tell him, we're going to arrest that guy. They're going to arrest me. The FBI. If he doesn't stop. I know this because it's only a couple hours go by and two cops pull up, one of which I know. And they get out, they knock on my door. And they tell me and my wife to sit down and they say, Danny, you got to stop. They are going to, the FBI is going to arrest you. <laughs> on what charge were they going to arrest you? I mean, arrest you. Interfering in an investigation. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was a bluff. Maybe it was a bluff, but hey, it had an effect because my wife now is sitting next to me and saying, well, oh, this is going far enough, okay? You know, you, you got to stop. And basically, I do stop for a while, okay? I really finally, again, sort of basically almost give up, but not completely, okay? And in fact, I, want, I had already left my job to work full-time on this case, and uh, some people... I, I left with a little bit of animosity, okay? Uh, but the, some, the way it's implied in the docuseries, it's, it's, it's because I was turning down a lot of these scripts and my boss didn't like that. And I'm not saying that part of him in his subconscious was, but what he really didn't like is I was interrogating patients, okay? In effect, in his business. And in all fairness, he didn't think I had a prayer in hell shutting her down. And it was costing him money, and I was irritating his patients. And and they, we weren't stopping anything because they would go right down the street and somebody else would fill it. Okay, so and he he hadn't lost a son. He 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 didn't understand what I understood, and and I had to almost feel okay about that because if I'd have been in his shoes, I would have probably been on my case. Okay, so any of that, uh, we parted ways, but it was considered a leave of absence, and he eventually let me come back, okay? So it wasn't as nasty as some people pictured it was, okay? And so anyway. <laughs> You're in a really tough position because you know 
you know how bad it can get with drugs. The, you're the death of your son, but also overdoses. And here you're in a position where you're just supposed to fill these prescriptions, even though you know that there's something wrong there. Exactly. But then it gets deeper, okay? And I wish I could move on to, to some of the other things, but I really shut it down. And that happens pretty quick when it happens. But but any event, so any of that, I, I'm doing a little bit of investigation on the outside now. Okay? And I happen to work at another drugstore, part-time, uh, just what they call relief. You know, I'm not really working, but somebody calls me and says somebody's sick and, and, and I go in and I fill in a day. Well, sure enough, one of the early patients that comes in, he comes in on crutches. He's got one leg, okay, and he hands me an Oxycontin prescription from Dr. Cleggett. So I go out there and I talk with him. And I said, man, I hear she's got quite an operation out there. And he says, yeah, she sure does, man. I said, man, I don't know. I said, you know, I'm seeing a lot of these young kids. He says, yeah, man, I don't like that. I really don't like that. He says, man, I, you know, I lost my leg. I'm, I'm older. Yeah, I, I do have to take this medication for pain, but I don't like what I see. So I start talking with him now. Now I'm pretending like I don't know much about it. I'm I'm pumping him for, for information. Okay? Well, before it's over with, I'll recruit him. He's going to go with me. We both think she's got a second office out there. And the second office is like her legitimate office. She's operating that during the day, and she's operating her illegitimate office at night. She really was a pediatrician. <laughs> I remember you saying that. Yeah, I remember that that's how she started out. So he feels the same way. And he he's now, he tells me, he says, I used to be a narcotics agent, agent for the New Orleans Police Department. And he's also ticked off about these New Orleans cops out there. Okay, But, but he's not saying anything because he wants to get his Oxycontin prescriptions. And she gives him a special deal. Okay. He, he don't pay as much as everybody else pays. And she gets him out of there fa fairly quick. He says, some of the people wait hours, he says, but you know, you know, and <laughs> so any of that. Now, was that because she knows he's an ex-cop, you think? I think so. I think so. I, 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 I agree. I, I think so. And so, and she thinks, well, he's on her side, which he kind of is. But there's part of him that just don't like what he's seeing. And again, it's because it's a different type of clientele. It's not just the old, what I call drugstore addict. The guy that for years has been taking this thing, he knows how to take it. He, he doesn't really overdo it too much. He is addicted, but, uh, you know, and he's, he's got some disability and whatnot, you know. And so, in any event, he's, he and me now, I call him the one-legged cop. Okay. His name's Charlie, though, okay. So me and Charlie go on an investigation. Now, remember, I ain't supposed to be doing this. They're going to arrest me. So we go out in New Orleans, he's looking for the second office, and we happen to run into a, a black Mercedes, and he knows that Cleggett, he knows more about Cleggett than I do, and he knows Cleggett drives a black Mercedes. And sure enough, we see this black Mercedes, and it's parked, and it has the license plate, Mr. and Mrs. C. So we assume, Dr. Cleggett. Well, he calls up uh, uh, a New Orleans police officer in the district in that area, okay, and he asks him to run the plate because he's, he's an ex-cop himself. Well, they run the plate, and he comes back, Mr. and Mrs. Sherman Copeland. Now, Sherman Copeland is a well-known black politician and very, very uh, well-known and connected. 
okay? And so it strikes our curiosity, okay? So we wound up following, he, he winds up getting in the car, we wound up following him, and he goes to this building not far away, and who pulls up next to him? Dr. Claggett. She's got a matching black Mercedes. So now me and him look at each other, we say, something going on here, okay? You know, so now we think, we always have thought she's got an assistant or a partner or somebody that helps her, you know, such and such, okay? And this doesn't come out with the docu-series. They knew about it, but we don't have enough confirmation. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this now, you're getting part of the story uh, because, uh, I'll, I'll, let me finish the story and you understand where I'm coming from. Some of this we can't confirm. Some of this is sort of conjecture, uh, but but I am being totally honest, okay? Charlie's now dead, so he can't verify that. So they lots of things they couldn't really verify, uh, they, they wouldn't put in, and I, I understand it. So in any event, we wait. And when Cleggett and Copeland walk out, I also see it looks like the FBI agent, who was the bad agent, I see him there. He sees me. Now, I immediately, again, because I've already got a bad attitude about this guy, is, oh, shit, he is in on it, okay? We got a real conspiracy here, cartel almost, okay? The FBI guy and... Uh, the politician and Claggett. Charlie, he's not so sure. Okay. So Charlie immediately calls up his buddy. Okay. And I say immediately. What we wound up doing is we wound up, we leave, and we follow the car, the two cars, and they go back to Claggett's office, Copeland and Claggett. Now, which office? Then, the legitimate office or the pill? The, her, her nighttime office. Wow. Yeah. 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 You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. 
or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We never did find a second office, though. That's what we were looking for. We stumbled upon this other thing, okay? And so any of that, we, he, he calls his guy, and his guy, Charlie doesn't really believe that the FBI is dirty, okay? And I don't want to believe it either. And I, I realize maybe I can be confused, okay? So sure enough, Charlie thinks he was there, because I, I couldn't tell whether he walked out or I, I, hap- I happened to see him there. And so maybe he was there investigating. Okay. So that was plausible. Okay. So sure enough, he calls his cop again out there that ran the plates. The cop calls the FBI and finds out if they were out in New Orleans East. Well, they got a task force and whoever he talks to at the FBI says, yeah, in fact, (laughs) we were following Mr. Snyder. They know my name. We were following Mr. Snyder, following them. Now, this is crazy, but this is what is, is said now. So in a way, it makes me feel better in a way. But, but then they tell me, and they say, look, tell Mr. Snyder to cool it. They don't arrest me, okay? They don't, they don't even threaten me this time. But they know me, and they know I was there, and they know what I saw, okay? And so they say, tell Mr. Snyder that we're about ready to come down on this, Okay? So that he, tell him just to rest easy, t- take a break. It's going to happen soon. There's an election. Chairman Copeland's running for an office out there. And the election's going to happen in like another 45 days. Okay? So I say, me and Charlie look at each other. That makes sense. Okay? Well, Charlie also says, you know, Dan, the only other thing you can do too, though, is you could take another crack at the medical board, okay? Uh, because, you know, it, it, this is getting tough. you dealing with the DEA, the FBI. Uh, you, they saying you interfering. Maybe we are, uh, you know, uh, you know, says, I, I, if I was you, I'd take another crack. And then, meantime, they show this, too. I'm trying to figure out how to crack this. I call, I watch 2020 or something. I see a guy in Portland, Ohio, who, who had... Uh, nailed one of these doctors out there. So after the show, I call him, and I got that recorded, and they play that, okay? And he's talking about how they shut that doctor down, and it winds up, we talk about it, when he finds out there's police involved and the FBI involved, and he's saying, this is crazy. Uh, I I thought I had it bad. Uh, But anyway, he gives me a tip, and his main thing is, you ought to go for the medical board. Uh, You know, that's, that's about your only hope, okay? So sure enough, I'm pretty much shutting my operation down. I'm hoping in another 45 days after the election, they're going to come down and we're going to find out that Copeland was part of this and they're going to shut Claggett down and they're going to be criminally prosecuted and some kind of conspiracy. And I'm hoping for the best. Okay. Well, the election comes and goes. Nothing happens. Absolutely nothing happens. And I can't even communicate with him anymore. And now Charlie has died. Not only has Charlie died, the cop that called the FBI, he's dead. Oh, my goodness. That's right. 
Now, again, you're going to say that I'm jumping to the conclusion that I think that some kind of way they were wiped out. Okay. And that crossed my mind. Okay. It crossed my mind to the, the extent that I was very afraid. Maybe I've run into something that is way too big. Okay. But honestly, I don't think they were killed. Okay. Charlie had some serious health issues. I did talk to his wife, and his wife said he died of a heart attack. Okay. Now, the, the, the New Orleans cop that died, he committed suicide. Now, I don't know what the story there was. He, I didn't know the guy at all. Charlie knew him, but Charlie's dead. Okay. But now both of these people now that participated in what we saw are dead. And now <laughs> it's also bizarre. It's also bizarre. And so any of that, uh, he, uh, nothing happens. So now I ask for my job back with my boss. My wife says, you got to stop. Because I tell her almost everything. And she's saying, God, Danny, you got to stop this stuff, okay? You, 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 you're in over your head, okay? <laughs> you know, if that guy's dirty, if he ain't dirty, you interfere in, in anger and they might arrest you, okay? If he is dirty, he might kill you. Okay, so, so I, I, again, I stop. Now, meantime, I'm praying, hoping, and at the store, I'm collecting little tidbits of evidence. I'm still not 100% shut down, okay, but I'm pretty much in quiet. I reduce or stop investigating the patients to satisfy my boss. I even let a few more prescriptions uh, uh, let slide in a sense, okay, not all of them, and he never told me to, to stop filling them, okay, or that I had to fill them, okay. So in any event, I'm pretty depressed. H how can you work so hard and you're so right and this can go on, and meantime, kid after kid is dying. And in the story, they got a girl named Sherry, okay. And Sherry I had met a couple of months before, and I had warned her, okay. And in addition to everything else that's going on, Sherry overdosed and died in January, while we were driving home from Minnesota, when we saw the cross. Yeah. A couple of weeks after she dies, she's buried. Well, she's buried, I guess, days after. But I know, I notice she's buried near my son. Very close. It crushes me. I, I, uh, uh, I had to give her some pills at one time. I didn't fill him, my boss did, but I had to hand him to her. And I didn't want to go against his position, but I warned her. And then she died, and I started thinking maybe those pills killed her. So I even had to investigate that and find out that, no, she had more serious problems. She had all the sources of the pills. Those pills she had been out of a long time because she died two months after. Okay. Uh, but it upset me. Okay. And that also drove me to do a lot of the things I did that year. But now we're almost going through the whole 2001. We're coming towards the end of 2001. She's still operating. She's still killing kids. I'm still going to funerals, okay? I don't know what to do. I'm pretty much, pretty much stopped in my tracks, okay? I start buying everybody's argument. You, you can't beat City Hall. You, 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 know, you, you can't beat the system, okay? Well, then a blessing happens, I guess, okay? A guy named George Papali calls me. He's the prosecutor for the medical board. They finally now have looked at the case, okay? And they had been looking at the case, okay? But he calls me 
out of the blue. And he says, this Dan Stein? He said, yes. And I said, well, I'm reading your letter and it sounds like you really did a good bit of work on this, okay? And uh, let me tell you, I'm calling back witnesses and all that we have. And a lot of them don't want to testify. And, you know, I, I can understand if you don't want to, but uh, what do you have to say about that? I said, well, look, hey, I'm ready to go. Okay, come down here. I got a lot of information to give you. So he's going to be in my house. And again, I give him everything that I gave the FBI and the DEA. Okay. And I have boxes of stuff. And he's amazed. Okay. And then I tell him the coroner's name in Florida, the coroner's name in Mississippi, the coroner's name in Alabama, because they all have deaths attributed to her. Oh. So I give him a ton of evidence, then I send him to our police department, they give him even more information. So all of a sudden, his case goes from wherever it was to the moon. He gets me to write a sworn affidavit, okay, outlining everything that I did. He says, Danny, he says, I think, I think we probably got enough here, okay? Then he calls me back and he says, tell you what now, she's got a lot of money. And she's got a lot of connections. Okay. And we're a little bit afraid that if we shut her down, she's going to come right back. Okay. Well, no, we can't just shut her down. We, we, we can try to shut her down, but then she can contest it. Okay. And then we got to kind of prove that we can shut her down. So she's going to operate for a couple of months at least. He says, we want to get her summarily stopped. Summarily, is she such a danger to the community that it's urgent and they summarily stop her. And then she has the right later to appeal and try to get her license back. Okay. But it's two different ways of doing it. So he tells me, he says, I need a smoking gun. I really need a smoking gun. Okay. And I'm thinking, you know, smoking gun. How do you get a smoking gun in this case? Yeah, I mean, you've got so much information. I mean, what else does he want? Well, I'm, I'm praying on that. And I don't even know exactly what I'm praying for, but I'm saying some kind of way, God, let, 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 let this stop. These kids are dying every week, okay? And sure enough, the next day I go to the store. And, 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 and in the store now, <laughs> this is funny, I got a little thing with the girls now. My boss really doesn't want me doing too much on this investigation, okay? But the girls are kind of on my side, the girls that work in the store. And when he's away, I'm working, okay? And they kind of side with me. And we got this little deal when collected patient comes in, if it's not a regular patient that we kind of know and we think is legitimate, okay, uh, they let me know. And the way they let me know is they say weep. And then it kind of alerts us it makes them copy the prescriptions right in the beginning. There's plenty of times I give the prescriptions back, okay? But we want those prescriptions. So anyway, this particular day I go back, okay? And a young girl comes skipping in the store, okay? Uh, she's a black girl, she's about 100 pounds. She looks like she's 16 years old. Later I found out I think she's 19, okay? And her mother comes in, her mother's a big heavy set woman, she comes in and they present these prescriptions for the girl. Her name is Toy Dones, that was stated in the docu-series, okay? And uh, it's for Oxycontin 80 milligrams, which is the highest level that you can get, 
the 160 milligrams they took off the market because people were taking one pill and dying. Okay. But Cleggett writes for 80 milligrams, one or two. Every uh, two or three times a day. Wow. Okay. So, so, and she writes for Vicodin and Soma and Xanax and all, all the drugs that go along with this package that most people get. And I look at this and say, my God, this would probably kill this girl. Okay. And so I first, but I, at first it doesn't totally click or it does. Maybe it does click because I do the things. I, I don't know if I consciously thought about it, but I do the things that you should do. We had already copied the prescription because it was a weep. By the way, you know what WEEP stands for? No. It's W-W-E-P. Okay. All right. And you might say, why is it spelled that way? Because it should be W-E-E-P. But we spelled it W-W-E-P because it has two meanings. It sounds like WEEP. Okay? But it stands for Wicked Witch of the East Project. <laughs> That's great. And we can get we considered her the Wicked Witch of the East Project. I think that's a good and analogy. It, it was. It absolutely was. So anyway, then, we got the doctor, we got the prescription. So I go out there and I talk to the mother. And the mother's got a pretty good argument. The mother says, well, no, no, no. I said, that's a lot of medication for this young girl. I mean, strong pain medication. And she says, yeah, but look, she's got sickle cell. And that can be really painful. In fact, she just got out of the hospital, okay, in the Bugalusa, okay? And her doctor's Dr. Yagandi, okay? And if you want, you can call him. I'm thinking to myself, I don't care what this doctor says. I ain't filling these prescriptions, okay? Girl dies, you know, maybe, okay? So, so and she knows, she's sensing now that, uh, you know, and, and it's going to take a while for me to reach the doctor. So she winds up saying, well, give me the prescriptions back. So I give them back to her. But I continue First thing I do is I call Dr. Ugandi. And I talk to his nurse and I tell her the story. She says, oh my God, that mother, she's, that mother's a drug seeker. Okay. And when I tell her the dosage, she says, oh, I'll have to let you talk to the doctor. She says, but there's no way she should be taking that. You know, she was in a hospital and not getting that. Okay. Much less out on the streets getting that. Okay? I eventually talked to Dr. Ugandi and he agrees. I asked him to testify. He don't want to testify. Did not want to get involved? Okay. But so any event, so now I said, now how's Cleggie gonna get out of this one? Okay. She's gonna deny writing the prescriptions. Now I got copies of the prescriptions though. Okay. So I said, but you know what I gotta do? I got to confirm that she wrote the prescriptions. So I get on the phone. Unfortunately, I didn't have my recorder because my boss really don't want me there with my recorder. Okay. But we got a speakerphone and all the girls around, I put it on speaker and I call Dr. Claggett and I actually get to talk to him. And I say, Dr. Claggett, I said, did you write these prescriptions? This is key. Did you write these prescriptions for toy domes? Damn right I did. And I said, well, Dr. Claggett, and I repeated the prescriptions to him. And I said, I think that this, this is prescribed would kill her. She says, who made you an effing doctor? Too bad you didn't get that one on tape. No, but I had three witnesses and the medical board took it. I took, I did another sworn testimony. Okay. 
uh, of exactly what happened, and they could call Dr. Yagandi, and they could call a nurse, okay? And what the medical board did is they went to a doctor in New Orleans that was like the, the head of the health department, okay? Bronson Lutz. He's in the doctor's. He evaluates the prescriptions, and he concurs that it would have killed the girl as described. So they now consider that a smoking gun. Now they now she's a danger to the community. She's writing prescriptions that because usually people that die have abused the prescriptions. Uh, in other words, they're, they're written take one and they take six. Right, but one would have killed her. One would have killed her, or at least a combination of more. If she'd taken two as prescribed, she would have killed her. Okay, and so and that's unless they could have gotten Narcan to them quick enough, or they could have resuscitated her. But the, he agreed that it would kill her. So in event, George now, the, the prosecutor says, okay, we're going to take her down and we're going to get her summarily discharged. So they go in with the, with the FBI and the DEA and all this other kind of stuff, okay? And naturally, guess who takes credit for shutting her down? The FBI. The FBI. <laughs> and the DEA, I guess. Okay. And, and honestly, we can't brag about me because I'm being threatened. The cottage industry of people who are getting prescriptions from her and selling half of them and making a living off of this thing, uh, they were, uh, we, we had had police come to our store because they were threatening to kill me. I believe it. Because you were heading on right into level, a major On ground level, people knew, but, but it wasn't publicized, okay? And my police department knew it. And of course, the FBI knew it and the DA knew it, but they weren't going to say Dan Snyder had anything to do with it, you know, but if they weren't trying to protect me, by the way, they were just trying to take credit. Okay? Exactly. So, and I, hey, I, I was okay. You know, I didn't want to be known. Okay. So in any event, they, sure enough, they pull up, they shot, they shot it down. Well, they go in there, her office is a mess. Okay. Uh, it's got drug bottles all over the place. And it's helter skelter. And one of the policemen from St. Bernard that I know sits down and feels something hard, he pulls out his gun It's in, in the sofa. This just shows you how crazy th th this whole thing is, okay? And she's all pissed off. Y'all can't do this. Y'all can't, can't shut me down like this. Okay, I'm going to go, blah, blah, blah. So in any event, they shut it down. And then George calls me back a day or two late and says, got some bad news, Danny. She's going to start operating again. So how, 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 did, how did that happen, George? He says, well, she went to some little judge, okay, and she got a stay order on the, on the summary charge, okay, and the judge has determined that she should be able, that we shouldn't have been able to summarily discharge her. I said, well, how can that be, George? He says, well, I got to be honest. I didn't use the smoking gun. Why? The reason why I didn't use the smoking gun was, he says, it was going to go public, Danny, okay? It was going to be on the news, and you were gonna be maybe in a lot more danger. And I thought that we could do it without that. Okay, I thought we really had a strong enough case without that. So he says, look, what do you wanna do? Can we use it? And I said something like, let's roll. Go for it, George. Okay. Sure enough, George gets a meeting like a day or two late. I don't even know if she operated at all. She might've operated for a day, okay. He gets another meeting with another judge and he presents the whole story. 
and her, her, her attorney is arguing for her to stay in business. And he throws her out of the courtroom and she shut down and she will never ever do business again after that. Well done you. I mean, well done you. And, and let me tell you, the listeners who, um, you need to watch the documentary because wait until you see this woman. It's not a pretty sight. You are, you are looking at a scumbag. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, now there's some more to the story. Okay. And, and, and then I kind of go on doing my mission, continuing my mission. No longer am I investigating doctors. Okay. I actually do participate in shutting one doctor down, but on a, just on a, uh, accelerate side, I, I'm not, not really that heavily involved. And I get another one shut down too, mainly just by calling the medical board because the medical board listens to me now. Okay. And they, they wound up shutting one of these doctors down who was basically crazy nuts. Okay. But I didn't really go into investigation and all this kind of stuff. I, I wanted to start talking at schools and doing things. And I also had come across when I was studying the problem, just how bad Purdue pharmaceutical was. Right. Just how bad Oxycontin was. So now I'm starting to focus a little bit on the Oxycontin part of this. And I start calling Purdue and I start telling them what the hell's going on, thinking they don't know, maybe, okay? And, you know, and, 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 and I also, there's a, a formulation that they can make that'll make the drug a little bit safer, okay? And I proposed that to them and they said, well, yeah, we, we're, we're looking into that, but it's gonna take some time. Well, that's bullshit, right. okay? If, if they would have formulated where it could not have been abused, sales would have went down dramatically. They were not going to formulate this thing. They knew what they had going, okay? And so I bumped heads with them a bunch of times, okay? And didn't really get a whole lot. Well, I also noticed when I was studying all this addiction and, and what to do about the problem, that there was, was like six states in the area that had uh, pharmacy monitoring programs. Ah, yes. And it looked like there was some promise to stop doctor shopping, okay? And so I contacted my pharmacy board. And I didn't have much success. I, I contacted them verbally and I discussed it with one of the leaders of the board and didn't have much success. And then I realized a friend of mine that went to school with me was a new member of the board. So I called him up and he said, uh, I said, can you help me out getting, getting to this aired, you know, cause I really think we ought to do this. And he says, look, he says, it's a very touchy subject. He says, honestly, most of the pharmacists don't want it. Because it's That's more, why? Connect. Because it's like more paperwork or that you have to do? Well, it hurt business. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, it would be more paperwork too, though. It would be more cumbersome, okay? But now, now the pharmacist that, that finds out that it's filled down the street, okay, when he didn't know, he could fill it with a clear conscience. And nobody could blame him for filling because he didn't know it was still downstream. Right. But if you put the system in place, he's supposed to look at that and find out it's filled down the street. Well, it's filled down the street, then he can't fill it. So it's also a little bit of an ethical point. Oh, it's it's definitely an ethical point, okay? And, and you know, it's money, okay? It's money, and you, you're always fighting it, okay? So, hey, I'm experienced at this kind of crap, okay? <laughs> So I get, I document the overdose deaths. I go to our sheriff 
and he's all for this program. And I cut out some newspaper articles. And I, and my friend Richard, who tells me, he says, look, I can't, I'm new on the board. They're not going to listen to me. And I might even get in trouble. But if you write a letter and send in information, okay, they will have to review it. It'll come up at the next board meeting, and they'll have to review it. And they'll have to give you an answer, okay? That you, either we, we're going to address this, or we're not going to address this, or eventually we'll address this, but they'll have to give you an answer. So sure enough, I do the legwork, and I write the letter, and I basically say this. Many, many kids, I've seen the parents, they've lost these kids, and they want to know why. They want to know why this is going on, okay? Some of them were threatening to sue and or suing the doctor. I said, but you know what? Now that we have a means of stopping some of this stuff, and some states in the country are doing this, I think they're going to sue the board. <laughs> Two weeks later, they have the meeting, they send me a letter, and they start the pharmacy monitoring program. Wow. You know, Dan, your story is so much about what one person can do to make a difference. You, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you get a pill mill, a major pill mill in your area shut down, and then you get the pharmacy board to implement the prescription monitoring system. I mean, yeah. Well, there's some other things I did weren't, weren't quite as successful. I started trying to build an organization, a, a people organization that I thought we could get a little political clout and we could do something not only in our community, but I had even thoughts that maybe it might go statewide. I even had dreams that it could go maybe nationwide. Okay. Well, I really didn't get the first base too much on that. I, even in my local community, I developed what they called a community coalition. Uh, we put together great stakeholders. I got doctors to sign on, judges to sign on, the, the school board, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but by this time now, I'm 65 years old, okay? I've been doing this for 20 years, okay? My wife is still frustrated with this, okay? And honestly, I'm, 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 a, I'm a good motivator and uh, persistent and all this, but I'm not really a great manager, okay? And, and it's hard to get, these people all talk a good game, but nobody really wants to do the work, okay? And we really wasn't building a good volunteer base and nobody else was doing it, okay? And, and then finally my daughter who got messed up when my son got killed and, and she was 18 and she didn't date till she was 30, okay? And so she finally started dating. She meets a guy, they have two kids, they're supposed to get married, they didn't get married. It, it probably was not the best situation, but she has a grandbaby for us. And we have been praying for a grandchild ever since we lost my son, okay? And so now we got a grandchild, however it happened, okay? And she winds up having another one with him. Okay? <laughs> and now she's living back with us. They've separated, okay? But where am I going with this? Where was I at? I'm sorry. You I were talking track. about um, not being a good manager and not having a good volunteer base. Yeah, yeah. So any of that, now I got this first grandchild. My wife, again, puts a foot down and says, look, you're 65. We got our first grandchild. You're running back and forth to St. Bernard, okay? What are you really accomplishing? Okay. I said, well, I, so any of that, I retire. They have a, a cake for me. They pat me on the back. 
there's a loose knit organization that I hope continues. Okay. In about three months without me, it disappears. Oh, okay. Okay. Now the sheriff down there though, who was part of this coalition, whose son died of an overdose in his pickup truck in the ninth ward. Okay. Who was tied together in my case in many ways. He does take a couple of things we were trying to do with the coalition and he implements them himself. He creates a, a position of uh, not a true sheriff, but a position where if, if people have a kid that has a problem, he sends this guy out to them and they give him resources and they give him instructions and so on and so forth. So, so, and that was one of the things we wanted to accomplish anyway. Right. Okay. So there was a little good that came out of it. Okay. But anyway, now I'm retired. Okay. And, and basically now I'm doing almost nothing for advocacy. And then all of a sudden, a guy named Jed Lipinski, Jed Lipinski takes, uh, 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 he's in New York. He gets a position in Louisiana, in New Orleans, Tom Spicciune. He comes down here. They make him the health reporter, okay? And they say, look, we'd like you to do an opiate story, okay, an opioid story, okay? And anyway, he takes, they say, look, there's a convention in New York. So they fly him to New York, and he goes to this convention. And while he's at this convention, he happens to notice that in 2001, St. Bernard was one of the hottest spots in the country for the opiate epidemic. Yep. So he's blown away. It's like oil in his backyard, okay? So he flies back to New Orleans, okay? And he goes down to St. Bernard and he talks to the police. And all the police say, you've got to talk to this guy, Dan Snyder. He says, well, who's Dan Snyder? He's a pharmacist. Well, I mean, he's, he, he had some, oh yeah, he was instrumental in this. Okay. And you ought to go talk to the medical board because ultimately they're the ones that helped shut it down too. They go talk to the medical board. The medical board's got to talk to Dan Snyder. <laughs> so he calls me up again. Now I'm, I'm a year and a half into total retirement, play with my grandbaby. And my wife over here asked me, this guy, wants, this guy wants to tell a story. Okay? He wants to interview me. And she's going, oh, I don't have to tell him no, tell him no, tell him no. <laughs> And I think about it. I really do think about it. Do I, you know, what, what is this going to lead to? Okay. And so anyway, then I ultimately I do. And he, it, it takes about a year. And he, he writes this really, really detailed story. And if you want to go to NOLA.com, uh, that's the, uh, the website. It's called Justice for Danny. And it's a good bit of the story in print. Okay. And then that thing has a, a real big effect in our local community. And it does drift out beyond our state, okay? And I get three people that contact me that want to go further, either a movie or a documentary or such and such, okay? Ultimately, I, cho I choose the one in New York. And the reason why I choose the one in New York is they asked Jed Lipinski to come to work in New York. So he gets to and do the documentary. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so me and Jed know each other now, and he, he deserves to be part of the story, okay? And he really wants to go back to New York. And the times Picayune later on, uh, like, crumbles, okay? And he would have lost his job anyway. So another great thing happens. He goes back to New York, and he participates, and he helps make the documentary, okay? And these guys develop a sizzle reel, okay? And they sell it to HBO and uh, Netflix and... They, they try to get somebody to take the story on. 
Netflix ultimately takes the story on. It competed against 65 other opiate stories. That's what I'm told. Okay. And they chose it because of it wasn't just opiates. It was a man against the world story. It was tragedy of losing your son and going, going on. But it also had the opiates in yep. it. Okay. And so, and then now that's exploded. Okay. And my dream of a national organization is has a chance of coming through. Absolutely. You're, you're a national story now, so you absolutely have that. I'm building what they call a people's lobby. Okay. Uh, I Again, I don't want to get down to doing the nitty-gritty. they got advocacy groups out there that are doing a great job of having town halls and talking in schools. And I'm not saying I'll never talk in a school, but but I don't want to do it day-to-day. I'm 69 years old. Right. Okay. But but I want to motivate other people to do it, okay? And and I also, what I want to do is I noticed, I, I started getting letters all around the country, either emails or messenger, Facebook messenger or letters or phone calls. They would find me, okay? And I found out there's advocacy groups all over the place that I never knew they had, okay? Some were 10 people. A lot of them were parents who lost kids, right. okay? And so, but I realized they're not tied together at all. They, they don't have a tie together. So I start piecing together this and saying, I could pull these, let these people continue as they are, okay? But let them join our lobby. Let me tie them together in some way, inform them of what one another are doing, take the best practices for some and let tell everybody what the best practices are. If they want to do it, fine. If they don't want to do it, fine, okay? I don't want to steal let people into my organization, okay? I want them to stay doing what they do. Right. What I want to have is a big lobby. I want to be able to go to Congress. And when we come up with the right ideas, okay, to really reduce the problem, because one of my failures was in everything that I did, it didn't move the needle much. Okay. It, it didn't. It, it, it's, it's sad. Now, now, I will say this. I do believe, and it wasn't just me. There were other me's out there that maybe didn't get this recognition. Okay. But they, if we would not have done what we did, it would be worse. Yes. So, so, so we have made a probably a big dent in the problem, but the real numbers haven't went down that much. Okay. And so I would like to be responsible now in the next couple of years to cut this in half. My goal is to take a hundred, they say 130 deaths, some say 150, some say 170, some say 200. Okay. Well, say 150 deaths a day. Okay. If we could cut that to 75, 75 families would not have to go through what I went through. Right. What these parents go through. Now, I'd like it to be zero, and we'll work for zero, okay? I think we can do it because what's happened now is the pharmaceutical industry and the insurance industry with their lobbies have had their way. Special interests with prisons have had their way, okay? Congressmen have had their way in, in not paying attention to the doggone problem for whatever reason, okay? And so... If I can go there and be a people's lobby representing all these parents and all these groups, okay, and and they say, uh, Dan, I don't know if we can do this. Well, just like I did with the pharmacy board, I can say, okay, I can't give you any money, okay, but guess what? I got 500,000 people, okay, and, and, and many of them lost kids, okay. And let me just tell you, when I press a button, okay, and tell them what's going on, okay, they will email you. They will phone call you. They will write letters to you. 
they will protest in the streets. Okay. All right. We are not going to not be heard. Okay. You, you, there are going to be consequences for your inaction. Okay. I love it. And so, and so that's my dream. That's my next uh, mountain. Okay. And so uh, how can people reach you? How can people become involved in this? I like to think that we've got people who listen to the podcast who would want to be involved either individually or through their own advocacy organizations. How do they reach you? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> so, so in any event, the way that they reach me is now I use my trademark Tunnel of Hope. So my website is tunnelofhope.org. But it's a little complicated, but I call the lobby the pharmacist people's lobby. Okay. Now, go into my website and you join on my website. You're joining the people's lobby. Right. Okay. And you can offer to volunteer. You can offer to pray. You can offer to donate. You can just offer to be on the list that if I eventually have to call you and ask you to stand up with me, okay, that's fine. Okay. And so they can go to tunnelfolk.org. Now, I also try to communicate with them through, through that site, and I intend to do more so in the future. But right now, a lot of the communication that people can learn from is I have a Facebook supporters group. And that group is supporters of the pharmacist, Dan Schneider. So it's a Facebook group called supporters of the pharmacist, Dan Schneider. And people can go on that. Now, you got to join, but we, we approve almost everybody. Right. Want politics involved in that. It is strictly uh, uh, a non-political uh, uh, situation. And when I say non-political, we're going to go after all the politicians. Actually, this but is not a partisan matter. This has nothing to do with parties. And they absolutely. all can be responsible for it. Democrat, Republican, you name it. Yeah, especially with this group. And its goals, you know, I have a personal site. It's, it's a little controversy. I have opinions <laughs> in politics. It makes some people happy and makes some people mad. Okay. I try to divide the two issues. Okay. And so I want people to go to my supporters page and what they can do is not just me, but everybody that is supporters now contributes. They tell different stories on what happened. They tell stories of what's going on in the advocacy industry. Okay. And then they can listen, but they can also participate. Okay. And so that's the two ways to really connect with me. And I'll give people something more personal now. Okay. I'm not going to give my phone number out. Just <laughs> okay. That's fair but enough. I'll give out my email address. And that's D Schneider, S E H N E I D R, at T of Hope, which stands for Tunnel of Hope, the abbreviation T of Hope.com. And the, and the website is tunnelofhope.com. And what's okay. the name of the well, group? Hang on, hang on. It gets confusing. And what's the you name of the three... group that they're signing up for when they sign up? The group is called Supporters of the Pharmacist, Dan Schneider. Now that's the Facebook group, right? That's the Facebook group. But when they sign up on your website, they're the Pharmacist's People's Lobby? Yeah, but we don't. It, it, it just shows up as Tunnel of Hope. Okay, fair enough. We won't get into that. I will clarify that. It's, it's a little crazy, but they're really signing up for, for a, a lobby. And I wanted to call it the tunnel vote, but I got some followers now that have been in advocacy a long time, and they want to use the pharmacist. Okay. 
Well, I think I don't it, think it's a bad idea. Well, I mean, it's a huge documentary. No, so. but, but they also wanted me to change it to the pharmacist and give up on the tunnel of hope. And it, there's a struggle going on there right well, now. Well, the people but, but, who are listening need to watch the documentary because then they will understand what tunnel of hope means. It's explained completely in the documentary. So you have to watch but, it to find so out. So in any event, it's tunnelofhope.org. Now, now, what's confusing is tunnelofhope.org. But your email is .com. But, well, my email is .com, it. and it's T of Hope. It's my name and T of Hope. Okay. Dan, you're a rock star. You just are. And I know that you didn't get into this to become a rock star. You didn't get into this to become famous. You got into it because you, first of all, had a passion to find out exactly what happened to your son, and then also to take on the illegal use of prescription drugs. And you're... You're just a rock star, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate you talking to us on the podcast. We know that while the documentary on Netflix is going to reach millions, we know that there's maybe a group of people who won't watch it, but they're listening to the podcast, and so we we love being able to tell your story. I, look, I appreciate you guys uh, Let me tell my story, okay? Uh, you were helping me have a platform, and you helped me reach the public, okay? Because we, we are going to need big numbers, okay? I, I don't want to go before Congress and say, well, we got uh, 200 people. Now, we do have 700 people right now that have signed up, okay? But I dream big. I think we can make even a dent. We need thousands. We need 50,000 or 100,000. Okay. Now, my dream is to have a million. I don't know if that's possible, but but I will tell you this. About a million, since my son died, approximately a million people have either lost their sons or their daughters or they've lost their mothers or they've lost a loved one. Okay. And so if we can get a percentage of them, that's a couple hundred thousand people. That's right. Okay. And there's a lot of other people that are in advocacy that have been trying right now that that want to have some power over the, poli- the for public policy. That's right. Okay. That's exactly if, right. If we can, yeah, so so there's a potential for hundreds of thousands of people. And I, and I'm putting okay. it out there to our listeners. You need to go to the website tunnelofhope.org and you need to sign up because that is a way to make your voice heard. You've heard it from Dan Schneider. You're hearing it from us here at the Addiction Podcast. And you got to do it. You got to make your voice heard. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just go at it. Okay. Okay. So Dan, what are we going to okay. talk about next week? Okay. Well, we are proud to be on the addiction podcast and we are going to talk about the behind scenes of the pharmacist doctor series, the pharmacist. I'm talking about detail. We wasn't able to squeeze in. Some things weren't legal to squeeze in. And are we talking about a little bit, maybe more about the, the Christian element of this thing that maybe we didn't think was best to put in? But you really, you're really going to get an expanded view of the docuseries, the pharmacist, and uh, you're going to find out about what we're trying to do because the story isn't finished being written. Okay, we have another chapter now, and it's called TunnelHope.org, and uh, we we are going to build an organization that's going to make a serious dent in this, uh, uh, what I call opiate addiction pandemic. Thank you so much for listening today. Dan's story really brings home what one person can do to help change a dangerous threat to us all. If you're sitting there thinking that the addiction pandemic has nothing to do with you, 
you need to think again. If you're driving a car, there could be an addict driving right next to you who is impaired. If you don't have a loved one who's addicted, I guarantee you know someone that does. It's touching us all. We urge you to support Dan by joining his group. You simply go to tunnelofhope.org and sign up. You can say that you want to donate, you want to volunteer, or you just have general interest. But please sign up. He needs millions of people to sign up so that he has a huge voice. We'll be back again next week with another interview. Please join us. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also subscribe to us on YouTube as well. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.